Let's go to God in prayer before we get into Mark chapter 5. God, we approach your throne of grace this morning and we are humbled. Humbled to be called by you um, to be your people. To be invited into your household. To be included in your will as heirs of your kingdom. We're thankful for a time where we can come and gather together to worship you and to bring you praise and glory and honor. And we pray that we do so in a way that is inspiring to the people around us, that we would encourage one another and inspire one another on to live lives that are worthy of the calling that we've received in you. And we pray as we open your word this morning that your spirit would be within us that you would speak to us through your word, that you would change us and challenge us and convict us, and most importantly, God, that we would be available to you. That we would open up our hearts and allow everything to be placed on the table, that you would take the things away that need to be removed, and that you would instill the things that we need to receive from you. And Father, as we leave this place today, I pray that we would be a people who are led by the Spirit each and every day of our lives, that we would seek out the ways that you speak to us, the ways that you influence us, the way that your Spirit guides and directs our paths, and that we would seek out opportunities to share with others the good news of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whom we have hope, in whom we have unity in whom we have peace. It's in his name we ask these things. Amen. Well, Mark chapter 5 is where we will be here in just a, a few moments as we get in and, and wrap up this series on uh, being marked and what it is to be called to be apostles, disciples, um, followers of Jesus. He calls the apostles and we see the mark that it played on their lives. He calls each and every one of us to be followers in much the same way. We see the same mark on our lives as people who are Christian people. Um, we're going to finish up that series today as we look in, in Mark chapter 5 at, a, at another man, a, a man who is not an apostle, but a man who is demon-possessed, um, who is called to be a follower of Jesus in a, in a much different way than the ones that we've seen. We started by looking at Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Um, and, and the way that Jesus called them from their life on the sea. Uh, we see the change that occurs in their response to the gospel. We also looked at uh, the Apostle Matthew. His calling was a little different than Peter, Andrew, James, and John. But the response is the same when Jesus says, come and follow me. But we see Jesus pursuing a much different character in Levi. Last week we looked at these three stories of people who some were called, some were already disciples, but when they are called to, to follow Jesus, they have some hesitation, some things that they want to take care of, and we see that Jesus calls them and says, look, you know, there are things in life that you just don't have time for, and when the call of Christ comes, nothing else matters. The things of this world that we think are important, the things that we think need our immediate attention, um, pale in comparison to what Christ calls us to do when he calls us to be Christians, to be followers of Christ. In Matthew chapter 5, or Matthew, in Mark chapter 5, the, the chapter begins 
they're on the sea. The apostles seem to spend a, a whole lot of time on the sea, and it takes them places they, they maybe weren't anticipating at times. Things come up on the sea that they weren't prepared for, um, and we see that they will sail across the sea and land in the region of the Gerasenes, and when they get off the boat, they meet yet another thing that they were not prepared to witness. Um, they meet a man who is not in his right mind. Let's read Matthew chapter 5 um, and verse 1. It says, Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the region of the Gerasenes, and as soon as he got out of the boat, a man with an unclean spirit came out of the tombs and met him. Uh, he lived in the tombs. No one was able to restrain him anymore, not even with chains, because he often had been bound with shackles and chains, but he snapped them and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him, and always, night and day, he was crying out among the tombs and in the mountains and cutting himself with stones. This is a man who is disturbed in a way that we can't even fathom. Right? These are the kind of stories that you tell your children to keep them away from places you don't want them to visit. This is like one of those old wives' tales, like um, legends and myths like the Rougarou or the Boogeyman. This isn't real. Can it be real? This is very real. Jesus and the apostles get off the boat, and you, you can imagine the cries that are heard. Can't you picture it? This man is living in the tombs, in the catacombs, and all day long, night and day, he is crying out and wailing because of the agony and the despair that he is in. And a strength that he has that can only be matched by the tales that are told of the mighty ones. Snapping chains, chains, smashing shackles, wailing night and day, cutting himself with stones. There's a disturbance in this man that can only be harnessed by the Son of the Most High God. Interestingly enough, there was a confession of Christ as the Son of the Most High God, here in this next section, says, When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and knelt out before him, and he cried out in a loud voice, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you before God, don't torment me. For Jesus had said, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. These are not confessions of a man. These are confessions of a demon. These are confessions of an evil spirit. In fact, it is the first confession of of the Messiah in the Gospel of Mark. There are three. The first one comes here for an un, from an unclean spirit who says, what do you want with me, son of the Most High God? Because he recognizes something. This demon recognizes that of all the things that have tried to bound and sh bind and shackle him, the thing has come that has the authority to defeat him. The second such confession will come from Peter in Mark chapter 8. And the final confession would come from a Roman centurion when he saw how Jesus breathed his last, exclaimed, Surely this man was the Son of God. And here you have an evil spirit who recognizes immediately when Jesus gets out of the boat and says, Spirit, come out of this man. He says, What do you want with me, Son of the Most High God? Don't torment me. Do we recognize Jesus? 
You know, it, it's, it's one of those things that I'm often ashamed of that is it possible that the evil spirits recognize the power of Christ even more so than we do? Am, am I driven to this point of humility, to this point of awe at the recognition of Messiah? Because this evil spirit knows exactly who Jesus is. He knows exactly the power that he has. He knows exactly the authority from which he comes. And he surrenders immediately. But we find ourselves in this resistant posture like we're posing for the heist when we're like, hold up. Just a second. (laughs) I'm going to keep you at arm's length because I know what happens when you come close. You start changing stuff that I'm not ready to be changed. You start taking stuff away that I'm really trying to hold tight to. So Jesus, you can come, but just right here. Give me some space, okay? How many of you are more aware of your personal space now than you were a year and a half ago? Like, I used to go into Walmart. (laughs) I used to go into Walmart or the grocery store or any place, and you would be stacked up nose to tail, and you didn't think anything of it. The only thing you thought thought about it was... How come there aren't more registers open? Because there are a lot of people who are waiting to check out, and we're just all packed in here like sardines. Now then, somebody walks up two feet, and I'm like, hey, would you like to go ahead? Are you in a hurry? Like, why are you so close? And and I'm not really self-conscious about it personally, but I have grown so aware of my space because of our social distancing practices that I realize even not in a COVID-ridden world, the way we were living was probably not very healthy. Just walking around like cattle in the middle of a herd, moved along and ushered along whichever path. I haven't been back to Disney World lately, but I wonder if anything has changed in that area. Some of you have been. Maybe you can tell me. But but I have this belief that people are more aware than ever of their personal space. Jesus doesn't care about your social distancing practices, though. He comes in and he invades. And we have to be a people who stop holding Christ at arm's length. To recognize the power, to recognize the authority, and to recognize the ability to transform If the evil spirits can recognize what he brings and what he holds, can we not as his people recognize what he has in store for us? And recognize that even if it is unpleasant, I will open myself up and allow him to come and reside and to rearrange the furniture of my heart and my soul to fit his way. Jody used to love rearranging her room. Let's, let's back up. Jody used to love beginning to rearrange her room. Like, and she would get to the point where it was just chaos in her room, and by this time it would usually be 11.30 or 12 o'clock at night, and she would be tired, and she would go, I have to finish, but I don't want to finish. I'm tired, and I want to go to bed. It's like, well, then go to bed. I can't. There's too much stuff on my bed. And if I'm going to take it off my bed, I may as well put it away. 
because many of us don't do well in, in the chaos that comes when things get moved around. Even when we know what lies on the other side is going to be good, it is going to be better, it is going to be better organized. We don't do well in the chaos of the shifting around of things. And Jesus comes in, and he never leaves things the same. Like, I, I just want to say, Jesus, you're welcome to come in, but just don't touch my stuff. Like, like, like can you come in and just not change anything for once? Like, I know there's stuff that's messy, and I know there's stuff that needs to be cleaned up, and I know there's stuff in here that doesn't belong, but can you just come and sit and just be content for a little while? And I know, I, I know that's not the way that he works. I know that's not the way that he acts in our lives. And so what I end up doing is say, hold up just a second, because I'm not ready for you yet. Will you be humble enough to surrender to the Savior? And just say, I know this is going to be uncomfortable. I know this is going to be difficult. Please don't torment me. <laughs> just, just make it right. Just make it right. Make it quick and make it right. We are his people. We have been called to be his people. Can we at least have the kind of faith and awareness that the demons have of the man who gave his life on the cross of Calvary for us? A man who gave up his place in heaven for us. A man who gave up his form for us. Can we at least have the amount of recognition that the demons have of who Jesus is and what he has come for? And Jesus obliges. He says, fine. You want to go into the pigs? Go into the pigs, and the pigs run off into the sea. He gave them permission to enter the pigs. Then the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd of about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned. The men who tended them ran off and reported it in the town and the countryside, and people went to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus, and they saw the man who had been demon-possessed by the legion, sitting, dressed, and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Like, you would think this would bring comfort. Like, you know, we've been trying to get this man well all of this time, but we heard what these men said, and then we come and we see Jesus, and there's that guy, and he's clothed, and he's normal. Jesus, you don't know the things we try to do to make this man right. There's only one power under heaven or in heaven that has the ability to make this man right. And these demons just encountered the one thing that was able to overcome them, and he did. And they are terrified by what they witness and what Jesus is able to do in this instance. And that brings us to our, our lesson for the day. 
As Jesus is getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed kept begging him to be with him, but he wouldn't let him. Instead, he told him, go back to your own people and report to them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And so he went out and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and they were all amazed. I, th I think a lot of times we have in, in our minds that when Jesus begins working in our lives, when the Spirit is present in our lives, we begin looking for something extravagant. We begin looking for these demon possessions to be overturned. We begin looking for pigs to be thrown into the sea. We begin looking for these kinds of radical, exciting adventures that Jesus is going to call us to. But here's the thing, 99% of the time Jesus calls you to be faithful in the mundane. That there is excitement in being a Christian. There is excitement in being a follower of Jesus. But that excitement is found in the things that you do each and every day of the week. Most of us aren't called to some extravagant adventure. Because the extravagance is found in the revolutionary power of the gospel of Jesus. Not in my work. Not in my ability to do anything but surrender to what Christ wants to do. To what the Spirit wants to do in our lives. This newly de de delivered man is saying, look, Jesus... You have done something for me that no one has been able to. And for the first time in any time that I can remember, I'm in my right mind. And I am not wailing and screaming. And I am not in despair. And I don't want to cut myself with stones. I just want to be with you. And Jesus says, no. He doesn't say no because I don't need you on the adventures that me and the apostles are going to do. He says no. He goes, because you have a story to tell. You have something to do and it has nothing to do with the kind of things that we have to do. I want you to go back and I want you to talk to your friends. I want you to go back into the city and I want you to live your life. The mundane things of life would never be mundane for him anymore. Waking up would never be a mundane thing for him anymore because every morning that he would wake up and get out of his bed, he would remember the deliverance that he received from this man they called Jesus. The man who changed his life. See, God's purpose for you and for me is that we would image him everywhere we go. That in every encounter, in every day, in every routine that we have, that we would leave the mark of the Savior, that we would recognize that we are here to show people who it is that we serve, what our God is doing You know, everywhere you go, you leave a piece of yourself. You leave fingerprints. You leave DNA. Every encounter that you have, you leave a mark on the people whom you have encountered. And you get to choose what that mark will look like. Can we choose in the mundane encounters of life to leave the mark of the Savior on the people that we encounter?
Will we choose to make sure that every single person we meet has experienced in one way or another the love of Jesus Christ? To serve God in the mundane. Because ultimately he tells us that you are to be a faithful follower of Jesus wherever you find yourself. And if you find yourself in some extravagant place, you can be a faithful follower of Jesus there. If you find yourself in some rote aspect of life, you can be a follower, a faithful follower of Jesus there. If you are a father or a mother or a son or a daughter, if you are a friend or a worker, or if you are living alone, if you are on your HOA board, or if you can't stand your HOA board, if you are just simply a neighbor or a hermit, can you be a faithful follower of Jesus so that anyone who comes in contact with you can recognize Christ in you? We don't always get called to the adventures. Sometimes we get called to take the adventures to other people. And Jesus wants to tell the man, he's like, look, you've lived the life. And I want you to go back into town. And all these people who met me and are afraid, I want you to show them there's nothing to be afraid of. Will you tell them what the Lord has done for you? Will you proclaim my name in the Decapolis to those who have never heard about me? From those who came and looked and have said, what in the world have we seen here? I want you to go tell them. And tell them all. Go tell your friends. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17, Paul writes to church in Colossians, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. In the usual course of your day, from getting ready in the morning, to going to work, going to school, from eating, to talking on the phone, to living on social media, from being at home with your family, to being in society with friends and people maybe you never met before. Is God glorified in the things that you do and in the way that you live in the smallest aspects of life? Because here's the thing, guys. If you can't be faithful in the little things, how do we hope to be faithful when the big things come? We teach our young people to be truthful. Down to the point of who ate my cookie. Is it going to change the world if someone lies about eating a cookie? No. It's not going to change our lives about who's going to eat the cookie or who left the garage door open, right? That was a big one in our house because we have a dog who likes to escape when no one's looking. And when our dog escapes, the only way she will come back is if you find her in a vehicle. She plays this game with you. She's easier to catch now because she's old and she doesn't run like she used to. But she'll let you get from about here to that first row and she'll look at you and go, ha, and then run. But if you pull up in a car and open the door, she hops right in and comes home. But she's hard to find sometimes. She likes to explore. And so we would play, play, play this game of hide and seek with her because all you had to do was leave the garage door open a crack and she's gone. 
who left the garage door open? It wasn't me. Like, just be honest. Like, if you can't be honest with who left the garage door open, how do I expect you to be honest with the big things in life? Because we develop those habits in the mundane. And when we learn to be faithful to God in the mundane aspects of life, when we learn to glorify God in how we wake up in the morning, when we learn to glorify God in how we eat our meal and how we say hello and good morning and good night, when we learn how to glorify God in the most trivial aspects of life, we develop a habit of, of making sure that God receives the glory and the honor for everything that we do. Most of us are not going to be called into radical lives like the apostles were, but we are all called to routine, everyday living. And he says, you want to be faithful to me? The most important thing you can do is to be faithful at home, to be faithful at work, to be faithful at school, to be faithful in your car, To be faithful behind a computer screen or behind a phone screen. To be faithful in the routine aspects of life. And will you testify? Will you testify about the work of God in your life? You see, we can't just assume that people know that we are doing good because we have been shown good by God. That, that's typically the, the downfall that we make is we all do good things. We all do things that serve other people. We all do things that make other people's lives better. But we have to be people who are going to take that extra step and make sure they know that the reason I do it is not to receive glory for myself. I don't want you to look and say, man, you are such a good person. What I want you to do is I want you to look at me and recognize that the only reason I am who I am is because of what Jesus Christ has done for me. And the only way I know how to love you is because I have recognized what true love is, and that is this, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for me. And he has changed me forever. And if it weren't for him, I would have no purpose in this life. We love because he has first loved us. And we only know what love is because he showed us on the cross what it looks like to love. To give everything up. And be a blessing to others. Be the people that when you walk in the room, everyone goes, oh, good things happen when they're around. Don't be the kind of people that walk into a room and everyone in the room goes, oh, what's coming next? <laughs> be a blessing. Right? Jesus didn't want the man to go back into town and tell his story so, so that he could get some accolade. He wanted him to go in and tell the story because he recognized that if this man could tell his story to those people, then those people would come to know who Jesus was, and they had nothing to be afraid of. The only thing they had to be afraid of is what kind of stuff is going to get rearranged in my life when Jesus comes in. And that's not anything to fear. It is something to embrace. 
Because Jesus never leaves things worse than He finds them. His change comes for the better. He wanted other people to know the, who knew the man to see how God had shown mercy to him. Right? Don't only tell your story, but show how God has had mercy on you. Are we willing to proclaim what God has done to be a blessing to others? Do the people you know, do the people that you meet, do the people who have known you all of your life see that you are different because of Jesus? Or do they just still see some crazy man running around town not recognizing the change that has come because of the presence of the Savior? To be marked for discipleship. To be the marked people of God means that wherever we go, we carry His mark, we carry His fingerprint, we carry His impression. And we leave that impression on the world around us. Are you willing to live a life that is marked by the Savior? Some of you have been baptized before. Some of you have been a Christian for a long time. But you need to live a life that is marked. You've made the decision and you've made the commitment and you have kind of lived the life. And you need to take that next step that just says, I want to be marked by the Savior. So marked that people see it in me. That they can't help but know who I am and who He is by the way that I live. It's a prayer that I pray for me and for you. And it is not lighthearted. It's not just that I want you to be good people. It's that I want us to be a people who will testify what the, what the power of Jesus Christ has done in your life. To proclaim the good news of a Savior who died and was buried and was raised on the third day so that you might live forever. I want our lives to proclaim the love of God in the world that we are in so loudly and so boldly that when people walk away, if they don't choose Jesus, it's not because they haven't heard. It's because they've ignored the message and they don't want the transformation that comes. I want us to wear the clothes in our actions that proclaim our King and our Savior.